Welcome to episode 10 of the Burn Music Show. In this episode, I'm joined by Andrew McGibbon, singer and guitarist for the Bonnevilles, a two-piece garage punk blues band stemming from Northern Ireland. We discuss everything from his life and career in music to the industry itself, including what he believes the near future has in store for both musicians and fans alike. We wrap up our conversation by creating a Spotify playlist of some of our favorite songs coming from two-piece rock bands. This is the Burn Music Show. I'm your host, Dimitri. Let's go. Thrilled to have with me from Ireland, Andy McGibbon from the band The Bonnevilles. Andy, such a pleasure. Thank you for being my guest. Hey, Dimitri, thank you very much. Absolute delight to be here. You know, I've had, um, I've had some guests recently from Latvia, Italy, and Sweden, and yeah. it's been really interesting for me, at least, to hear and discover what's been taking place in their towns and countries like during this pandemic. Now, you're located in Northern Ireland, correct? Yes, yes, that's right, yep. How have things been for you guys? You know, I, we hear a lot of what's going on in the UK, but not too much in Ireland. You know, well, we're kind of, well, Northern Ireland, with Ireland being partitioned, so the Northern Ireland bit is a part of the UK. And then we have the Republic of Ireland, which is, you know, its own, its own, its own country. So sure. we kind of follow, we have to, we kind of have to follow the British advice. Uh, although we would much rather follow the Irish advice because the Irish have dealt with the pandemic much better than the, the British did really. So, um, and it doesn't make sense to have two different types of, um, let me say, two, it, it doesn't make sense to have two different types of advice on the, on the one small island, you know? Yeah, so, how have the Irish dealt with it differently? Well, but the Irish went into lockdown much quicker and uh, there was more testing, more track and trace, all the things that, that the WHO advised that countries should do. And the countries that did it early have gotten away with far fewer fatal um, instances of, of the disease. And Ireland's, I mean, don't get me wrong, Ireland, it's not perfect, far from it, but it was sure. much better than much better than the British response. The British response was, was shameful it was, it, and it continues to be shameful. It's an absolute disgrace. I think it's turning out to be one of the worst rates in the world. I think the US has the highest number, but the UK right. has the highest number per million or something like that, or the highest number of excess deaths for the time of year. You know? So, uh, and that comes down to just bad management. So in, in Northern Ireland, we kind of, we kind of went our own way. We kind of followed Again, we, we live in a divided society here, so we kind of have sort of some people, you know, they, 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 they look to Britain for leadership and then others look to Ireland for leadership. I, I'm one of the, the people that look to Ireland for leadership. That's my sort of, um, uh, uh, my leaning. I consider myself to be Irish, not British. And um, we have in Ireland, we have a, an organization called the GAA, which is the Gaelic Athletic Association. So okay. We have Irish sports, like a particular type of football, and, and they're, they're, very, um, they're ancient sports, and they're, they're massive. You know, in, in Ireland, it's the biggest, it's the biggest sports we have here. Yeah, and we have the clubs 
the association, the governing body of, of all the clubs, every village in Ireland has a GAA club. Like literally every village, and you're, so you're looking at thousands of clubs all over the country, and wow. the GAA, the GAA have have um, they came out and they they showed leadership, and even, they even were ahead of the Irish government. They were telling their clubs what to do, and because the clubs are so rooted in the communities, then the communities were doing it immediately, and yeah. then the then the government was catching up like a couple of weeks later. But the GAA people had already. Had food banks sorted out. They had already been in the lockdown. They already so they were well ahead of the game, well ahead of everybody else. So uh, and then when you compare that to the, the British government, it was um, it was disgraceful. <laughs> so yeah, well, it seems like with most most things, it should start at the ground level and the community level versus just like a blanketed yeah. government federal approach. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, it 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 it's an exa- it's it it is a it it is a good example of um, how a community organisation can lead and does lead from the front, from from on the ground. But um, unfortunately, we we do because our, the way our governments are, you know, they they kind of they want to be telling you what to do, which I suppose is what a government is for. But when right. they're so when they're so woefully prepared, and 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 their response is so inadequate, then you know the response has to come from the community. The community has to lead the way, which is which is what they did, which is what the GAA did. You know, yeah, it was great. To, it was great to see. It was great to see. You know, I'm not saying that, again. I'm not saying the GAA are perfect. They're not. They're you know they're an organization. You know. Of, of people and human beings and they make mistakes the same as everybody else we all make mistakes but in this instance they, they were they were they were fantastic you know that's that's good to hear yeah and no um i'm sure you've heard about it too matt damon you know the hollywood actor mm-hmm. he's been in a suburb i don't know about 200 miles from you guys in dublin he's in a suburb of dublin and he got yeah, stuck yeah. out there yeah yeah he got stuck out there they were, they were filming a ridley scott movie and he's described it as like living in a fairy tale. He's like, you know, we've been on, I guess, a two, you know, like a two kilometer radius uh, lockdown. You can't go beyond that of your, of wherever you're living or staying. And he's like, man, you know, we have forests and woods and oceans, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Ireland's like that. It's, we do, it's a, it's a small, obviously it's a small island um, and, and it is very rural. So um, every we have a couple of big population centers like Dublin and Belfast, Derry and Cork, um, but everywhere else is villages and towns. And a two kilometer, a two a two kilometer radius from from my house, for example, I have three or four hundred yards of a walk to two world class parks. One of them has a huge lake in it and a forest, and a mile in the opposite direction. I am on the shores of Loch Ness, which is the biggest freshwater lake in Western Europe. Wow! You know, so you know, if you said you're only allowed to go within a couple of a couple of kilometers of your house for me, that's fine. That's <laughs> 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 cool. Yeah, absolutely. There's plenty to do. You know, if you like going for walks and listening to birds sing, and you know, but then obviously, then you miss out on. You know, we're all missing out on our our real lives. You know, our friends and our social lives and stuff. And sure. then for the music, the music has 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 um, you know, 
for all us bands out there. And it, it's such a. I, I was actually talking to a friend of mine this morning, and we, we, he, he was actually he's our roadie, and he was saying that uh, he reckons that there's bands not going to survive this. They're not going to reform. Yeah, I I I believe it. And bands and venues and labels. I, you know, I was talking to another guest a few weeks back, and we're, I'm, I was saying I think there's going to be a pre and post Corona world, and it's going to be a struggle. So, do you think? Um, do you have that same belief, where you think some of the bands are not going to survive? Yeah, I do. Um, the, the thing that I think is really, really worrying about it is it's going to be the touring bands. So it's going to be bands like like us who tour and rely on the income and uh, it's it's a struggle at the best of times it's a struggle but because we love what we do we continue to do it but you're going to i i i imagine like our last gig was new year's eve and i don't think we're going to gig uh, this year i don't think 2020 we're going to see one we might look at something towards the end of the year but as far as we were there's no talk about opening up the venues in europe even the whole across europe um anytime soon so i can't see us opening and or, or i can't see us gigging and my fear is that some bands those guys will go and get jobs doing something else and they may not have the hunger then or to you know to embrace the insecurity of being in a band and you know, they may take that job in the supermarket or driving a taxi or something sure especially if you have a family and you know mouths to feed exactly that's exactly it and it's it, it's it's going to be the touring bands that get hit by this because if you have what you, what you could refer to as local bands and i don't mean to be just i'm not being disparaging but if you get a, say you have you know, bands that kind of just stay within their city or their town and don't really travel or tour. You know, the, 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 some of those guys maybe only gig two or three times a year anyway. Right. So for those, for those guys, it's it's unusual, sure, but it's not the end of the world. But for guys that are gigging, touring, five or six tours a year, uh, and you're going for a year with no gigs and you're relying on that income, then you get that job you know, stacking a supermarket shelf and a couple of hundred dollars or a couple of hundred, three hundred euros a week just coming right. in regularly. And then you're going to go back on the road again in January. I, 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 I can see a lot of people saying, I, I, I can't do this anymore. You know? Yeah. Is, is that a fear that you have as well? No, I think me, me and Chris, we're, Chris and I are going to be fine. I think um, I am. We were a little worried. Uh, we are. We are obsessed with our band. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we 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 love our band, and it's very much our lives, really. You know, um, our our families are in full support of us, and, and whatever. We 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 do what we can to survive. It just just depends on what the post-corona uh, as you as you right, correctly pointed out what venues are there what what booking agencies even booking agencies you know there's guys you know those guys live precarious existences as well i'm sure you know you, you know as as everybody in this business is at the best of times you're hanging on by a thread 
So it just depends what's left afterwards, you know? Right. So uh, I, I think we'll be fine. I, I mean, we're, we're keen to get back on the road. We've canceled, we canceled three tours. And then we started to rebook a big, we had a big Euro tour we were supposed to go on in April. And we had to cancel it. And then we started to rebook it for October. And then it got canceled again. So we just put, the, we were not booking anything until we're certain that we can, you know, get to the gig. Sure. Yeah. And you guys have found a way, though, to stay busy during the lockdown. I know you have, um, you know, a lot of exciting news and happenings that were taking place beforehand but you guys have had some amazing live stream shows too and maybe that is some kind of you know i think we might look back and maybe something that's not in ex, you know in existence right now if we look back maybe a year from now we'll be like oh you know maybe that saved the industry um yeah where, where, you're, where you're getting eyeballs from all around the planet and watching something as simple as like a live stream well yeah exactly um, it, 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 it's it's really it, the thing that i've i've because that surprised me and it's given me i mean i can i'm not being a little bit selfish by saying this but what i've gotten out of it is it's made me realize how important bands are to people because when you're up to your neck and it's maybe you you tend to forget you, you how important arts are to people and we're getting this direct feedback it's you know so so we go to a gig and we tour and we, we'll, we'll, we'll arrive in your town and we set up a gig and someone will buy a ticket and they'll come and see us and they'll have some beers and they'll tell us how much they enjoyed the show and they'll buy some merch and they'll leave. But we're working, you know, you're constantly working as a musician. You're, so you're, you don't really have time to absorb that, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, for sure. So you, you then, you, you know, you go to your hotel and then you jump in your van the next day and you go to the next gig and, and that's great. And that, I don't mean that to sound as if I'm taking anything for granted. I just mean to say, you're working hard. You're just constantly on the go. So you don't really have time to take that in. But when we're, the thing that I've got from these live streams is the messages. I go back and read every single message the next day. And it's, it's the most loveliest thing. <laughs> I really, so really, really enjoy it so much. And I reply to as many as I can. But you're looking at six or 700 messages, 800 messages, so you're not going to be able to reply to everything. But it's that, that, that to me is just an absolute gift. And it's give me a certain, uh, it's, it's give me a certain new energy, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I'm saying, well, okay, you know, these people do, it means a lot. To them. People come in and it's simple, like, they ask for songs and they ask for requests and stuff, which is fine, you know, and people ask for requests all the time, but because of this live streaming thing and you get to talk to them a little, just a little bit, you get to realize how much that song means to them. And it does. And some people, it means a lot. At that particular song of that particular album to that particular individual means the absolute world. And this, this live streaming uh, situation has opened that up for me and I, I, I love it I absolutely love it and I think as I think as, as I said to you before uh, just before we, we started um, recording we're all going to have to get a little bit better at this live streaming thing as well so I've invested in a little bit of you know technology to try and up the video and up the audio quality 
to try and just just to try and make it as 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 good as I can, really. You know, so yeah. uh, as you as you say, you know, this this whole Corona thing has changed everything, and we're going to have to change with it. But we're but we're artisty people, so we're flexible and we're used to changing. We're used to this, so we're, we're I think we're going to be the, the arts community in general is going to come out of this with something in the pocket, you know. For sure. And and you guys have, so you have another live, well, this will be, so you have a live stream tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. But by the time this podcast airs, that'll be in the past. Um, yeah. Now, I believe you're doing a, um, a playthrough of a full album tomorrow. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're so going to pick an album. Yep. Yeah. In preparation for something like that, how is it different than when you're, when you're preparing for a live stream versus playing for a live gig? Mm, well, the thing is, a lot of the songs on the albums, we actually wouldn't play out live, if, if that makes sense. So, you know, we try to mix our, you do mix your setup as much as possible. We've got four studio albums. So we're lucky enough that we can go and do anything from a, a good take 30, 40 minutes to two and a half hours if we, if, if we need to or if we want to. But some of the songs on the albums, you don't play out live. And, you know, whenever, we, whenever I write them, I'll do that deliberately because it, it gives me an opportunity to flex my songwriter muscle and just kind of do something a little bit different, a little bit off the wall. And we go in, and they're you know they're studio album tracks, and they'll never be played out live by the by the band. Not that we can't, but they just sure. they just don't they, they they just don't make it into the set. And um, so this gives me an opportunity to revisit those songs, and I get to play them again. So I'll let pick. I'll go through and. The, the first couple of streams I did, I asked people for requests, and they were pulling all these weird, these little album tracks that we never play out live, never. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was brilliant. I absolutely loved it because it meant that I then it's going again. I don't want to sound like an egomaniac, but no, I I, I went back and listened to these songs and went, that's good. I, I, <laughs> I write with a good song. I like that song. It's really good. But, and it means something to that person. They go, oh, I, I, I like your big, you know, the, the, the big bouncy punk blues things that, that you do. But that wee song there, I really like that one. Could you do that? And again, you know, I, I get to then play those. Some, sometimes I have to go back through my notes and through my, 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 my books and find out what chords is in it because I forgot. <laughs> Sure, you know, so yeah, I, I and the lyrics I, too. I bet. Yes, the lyrics as well, and that's the other thing. I mean, I, I I would be quite wordy, with with some of the songs have quite a lot of lyrics, and I'm not great at remembering them all the time, so I have to I do have to print them out, and then I. I but the, again, the good thing about that is, I get to I get to see them again for the first time in years sometimes, and. Uh, and I, I, and I can sort of give myself a little pat on the back and go, that's a, that's a good line. You did all right there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like actually doing a live stream gives the artists a little bit more creative freedom and it actually gives fans a little bit more input. Yes. That's a great way of putting it. That's a great way of putting it. 
Yeah. The thing, I think the thing that um, with, with regards to the creative freedom, one of the things I, one of my little, um, one of the, I don't know what I would even call this, but whenever you read about recording sessions from like the 50s and the 60s, and you read about those great albums or those great bands or, you know, the Beatles or whoever, and they go in and you, you, you read, they only had four tracks to record on, but they recorded an orchestra and, the, and, and they had, what they had to do was be very inventive and creative. Every day was a new challenge because no one had ever done this before. No one had ever done that before. No one had ever tried to put a rock band with an orchestra or a horn section or, you know, and, and this was all brand new, so they had to be very inventive and very creative every day. And what I think is, when you're limited in your particular way, so I'm limited in the, what I can do with a live stream, I, all I can do is just sit and strum a few songs with an electric guitar and acoustic guitar and play some foot drums, and that's, that's as much as I can do technically. But what it does is, it forces you to be a little bit more creative else with all your you know it, it forces you to be to, to sort of you know so you can reach out to the fans so you can say right i'm going to do an album playthrough and, sure. and, we'll, and, we'll, and we'll have to figure out how to do this so you're setting yourself a little challenge there yeah. you know and it, it it's one of those it's 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 one of the, the things you see as well you know with modern recording when you're recording into a lap a computer you've got hundreds and hundreds of channels that you can use to record. There's literally no limitation. There's, no, there's, 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 there's nothing you can't do. And sometimes that's not a good thing. In fact, I would say most of the time that's not a good thing. It's good to have a limit. It's good to have a. It's good to say no. I'm not gonna just keep throwing stuff at the wall and hope it sticks. I'm gonna, I'm gonna limit myself here. I'm gonna be creative within my limits. You know. Yeah. Have you used this time as a creative outlet at all, maybe to write and record any new music, either solo or for the Bonnevilles? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've finished my solo album. It's, it's done. I, I, I had, had quite a bit of it done, actually, uh, uh, up until now, but um, um, I, I got it finished. There was, I, I thought I had it finished at the start of the year, and then I went back and listened to a few tracks, and I wasn't happy with a couple of things in there. So I, then this thing happened the corona thing happened and i just yeah. got knuckled down and got it finished and yeah it's, it's great i, I love yeah. it so, so the album's done it's all finished it's going to be going to the record label maybe this week next week i'll send it off to them and um yeah so that wow, was, yeah that I, heard was a I heard a couple of them uh, on your on your live stream i think the the northern uh, gothic cool. is the title right yes that's right yes yes yeah, that was a great song. You did uh, Starlings, and then I think there was one more. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, nice one. Yeah. yeah. What, what made you? What made you? What made you wanna? You know, I mean, you guys are a two piece, so you know, you go into a solo direction. What made you do that move? Uh, well, I just wanted to. Again, you know, I consider myself to be a songwriter first and foremost. That's that's my passion, and um, with the two piece. If you listen to the Bonneville stuff, there is little oddities in there, as, as I was saying earlier on. There, there are little odd sort of tunes that, you know, we describe ourselves as a garage punk blues band. 
and there are definitely songs in there that don't fit that 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 genre description but i like to be able to flex sort of a songwriter muscle whenever i get an opportunity to I, I, i'm working on a hopefully well it was, it was supposed to happen but this corona thing has has put the brakes on it i'm working on some movie soundtrack work oh, wow. and yeah and and uh, you know so i love that you know just writing songs and being being a little different and so with the bonneville stuff is i mean as much as i love it it can be a little limiting sometimes with what i can do so i decided that and i have written you know i've written four bonneville's albums so that's that's almost 50 songs for for for, for the bonneville's and i just needed to do something different you know that was and i didn't want to start another band or do anything like that so what are this again this is this whole thing about laying yourself down uh, a little challenge so i decided that what i do is i would build a studio here at my home so i built a, uh, a studio out in my garden and uh and i would record the album myself in its entirety so i would write everything record everything and, and do the drums and everything and just and i've never played drums in my life so i learned how to play drums <laughs> and so it, so i set myself a really hard challenge to 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 do it and i've done it and, and i'm really I, re, I really like the album i'm very proud of it actually but um but it's done now so i'll, I'll be mo i'll be getting it out and i'll be moving on from that and the next thing i'll be doing will be another bonneville album and how, how many songs were going to be on your um your solo album uh, 10. 10. Uh, maybe there might be 11, but I think 10. That's great. I look forward to hearing it. And is it on the same label or do you have a different label for this? Yeah, it's a different label. It's, um, uh, it's going out on, uh, well, our, our, I think it's going to be Blues for the Red Sun. They have a couple of different labels under the same roof. So I think it's going to be Blues for the Red Sun, which is a European label. And, um, you know, it's, it'll just be a limited release. It'll be a small release. It'll not be a massive thing because I'm not going to be touring it or anything like that. You know, sure. I'll just I'll, I'll just go out and do the odd song gig every now and again. And that's that's the good thing as well. Is one of the things I started out as as we all do, I guess most of us anyway. Uh, you know, with an acoustic guitar, singing songs at house parties and things like that. That was that was the way. That's the way we do it here in Ireland. You know, house parties yeah. are a big thing. And uh, I haven't done, I haven't been out and gigged, or even sung with just on my own with an acoustic guitar in years, because it was just just all you know the Bonnevilles, it was just it's everything that, that we that we were doing. So I decided that I wanted to get back into that again, because that's a big thing here in Ireland, you know, singer songwriters, people strumming guitars and singing folk songs. Sure, almost like a folk art. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a big thing, and um, so I wanted to get back into that again. So I. I so some of the songs, sort of about half of the songs on the album, I can actually just strip back and play with just an acoustic guitar, as well as sort of the bigger album versions. So, um, and, and, and I really like that as well. I really, I'm really keen to get it. And it's really, it's easy as well, because I can just put a guitar into the van and just drive to a gig. And, That's great. Or, or, <laughs> or even, even, yeah, or even get, you know, get a train and have a few beers and you know, get the last train home and just with a guitar and a, and a case. And it's, Rather than loading up a van with merch and loads of equipment and having to get there from 
six o'clock and not leave until three in the morning and all that. You know, it's sure. band life. It's band life stuff. But um, just been just been like the 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 last solo gig I did was in a in a record store, and they just had a friend of mine has a, a record label, and uh, he said, "Listen, come and do this thing for me." And we just there was three of us. And we just stood in the window of this record store and took turns to sing us to do one of our own songs. We did about four or five songs each, you know. And yeah. we just chatted, chatted to the chatted to the audience, and there was no microphones or anything. We were just doing it dry, and it was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. It was a it was a real real treat, you know. It was easy. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And you'll be able to do that, you know. Like you said, yeah. you just walk down and do it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. It's it's fantastic. Now. Are you privileged to talk at all about the um, the movie soundtrack? Is that um, a local um, movie? Is that like a Hollywood movie? No, it's an it's an it's an Irish production movie. It's a, a horror film, and I was supposed to go and have a meeting, uh, and it would have been sort of the week before this Corona thing happened, and I missed the meeting. I, I phoned the guy up and said, "I'm sorry, I can't make the meeting," and he said, "That's fine." I said, "We're, we're just we're they're very much in pre. They're still trying to get finance, and they're at sure. that level." And, uh, and then the next week, this Corona thing hit, so I, I I didn't even get to see the script. But I, I've I've done some work for films and TV in the past, and um, it's something that I I, I really want to get into, you know. And I, again, I just reached out. Funnily enough, I just reached out on the on the on one of my podcasts, and the next day, a friend of mine, Keith Miller from up in Belfast phoned me up. He said, yeah, I've got someone for you to talk to. And that, that was it. That was that movie. And, they get, and then the guy come back to me and when he, he, he knew who I was and he was like, yeah, yeah, if, if you want to do this, it's yours. Like, you, can, you can do it. So, but I never That's got great. to talk with I never got to do any more. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, there's a big, there's a huge movie industry here in Ireland. Um, a lot of the Hollywood movies are filmed here. So Star yeah. Wars and things like that. And, you know, a lot of those big, big blockbuster films. Game of Thrones was filmed here. Yeah. Well, the, the the scenery. I mean, the scenic backdrop. You can't. You can't rebuild. We can't recreate that in any studio. Yeah, that's it. Well, there's and the, the, there's like nine mile, nine miles from my house. There's a, there's one of the studios where they filmed Game of Thrones. So they, they have a just on this hillside and a big, huge green screen behind this life-size uh, old wooden warship. And it's just sitting there on the side of the road. <laughs> you, you drive past it, and it's just sitting there. It's just it's amazing. It's the most amazing thing in the world. But you see, when you think about that, whenever I when I think about that compared to my childhood, because I grew up in a war zone. You know, this country was at war with itself. And yeah, that's what that's what I wanted to talk about. Because you you reference you know your hometown Lurgan a lot in your music. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah, it was a war zone. I, I can't imagine it being because I'm sure you're a child of like the 80s and, and 90s. Yeah. yeah, Um Northern Ireland wasn't the most stable place on the planet back then. What was that like? It was. It was well. When you're in it, and you don't know any different, it's normal. And but but the the the, the real sad thing about that is whenever violence and tragedy become normalized you become sort of you know you do become a little bit numb to it so you expect to be shot or you expect to be blown up or you expect to be assaulted by the army or the police or 
know, you expect these things to happen to you. So you, it all becomes normalized, you know? And um, I think the people of Northern Ireland have sort of suffered a collective trauma. People of a certain generation and below, or above, I should say, have suffered a collective trauma that we've never, we've never addressed, we've never dealt with it, really. You know, like in South Africa, they had, after the end of apartheid, they had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission where people just came forward and told their stories, and that was that. And, and they parked it, and they just said, right, we're going to park this. We all know there was wrong things done, but we're going to move on. And we didn't have that here. That didn't have, there was talk about it at the time. The, good for, the peace agreement was signed in 1998, yep. and a, a part of it should have been a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, similar to what they had in South Africa. There was talk of it at the time, and it didn't happen. And it's still, the wounds are still a little bit open, uh, but it, but they are. It is. It's it's certainly by God not even a fraction close to what it used to be, but there there, there are still certain people who have long memories and aren't letting the past, you know, uh, aren't letting bygones be bygones basically. And I think it yeah. needs to be. But you but you kind of understand it because people, as I said, people have suffered. You know, people have maybe, you know, they've had loved ones murdered and, and, and they've never had closure. And that was all a part of that. And it didn't, you know, and, and so you kind of understand why maybe they would be uh, passionate about um, seeking justice and things like this. But it's, it, it, has, it has made moving on a little, bit, a little bit more difficult than it should have been, I think. And then sure. when I consider... You know, my life, I, I left here when I was 16 because I, I hated the place. I literally hated it. And I thought it was going to, you know, I probably would have died, I think, you know, the, the circles that I ran in. And, and I left anyway. Um, and I'm glad I did. And, and I went and I traveled the world for a few years. I, was, I joined the Navy and everything. And I, I, I traveled the world for a few years. And I came, then I came home in the mid-90s. And... Uh, then toward, uh, and I met, I met my wife, and I've been here ever since. And then the peace came as well. And since then, it's been the, I love it. I absolutely love the place. It's my favorite place in the world, and I don't want to live anywhere else. That's great. And maybe venturing outside was, in a sense, your form of closure and then a rebeginning once you returned. Completely. That's, that's completely correct. I, I think that's, that's undoubtable. Um, it, it allows you to see that there that the world isn't just this literal war zone that you were brought up in. And then the you know the big thing that happened was the peace process. And then the, of course there's no guarantee. You don't know what way your country's going to end up. But it turns out that the character and the, the character of the people from from this part of the world is is funny and sweet and artistic. And yeah. I'm full of energy and love. That's the real character of the people here. It's not the old idea, you know, and um, or, or the old examples, I should say. Um, it turns out that it's it's much more positive and much sunnier than 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 that. So, growing up, then, how were you able to access and I guess like discover music? Um, as mm. a child or as a, you know, as a teen and how did all those experiences kind of, you know, formulate 
your your taste in music? Yeah, well, growing up, it was it was the same as everybody else. You know, I guess any sort of teenager in the eighties and the nineties, you would, you know, we do we do we did have our record stores and on their TV shows and things like that. There was with a bit of a problem here that a lot of live bands wouldn't come and play here. So the bands that did come, thank God they did, you tended to go and see them. So they were, you know, and it was, a, weirdly enough, it was a lot of the heavy metal bands. And I'm not a huge heavy metal fan, but I, I think I've seen them all when I was a kid because you just went and seen anybody that, 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 that showed up. And going back even even before that, you know, at home, my mum and dad, we would have listened to a lot of soul and a lot of country and western. You know, my dad was a bit of a country and western fan. Yeah. And then I, I remember I remember a lot of Elvis, a lot of Beach Boys, a lot of Sam Cooke, and you know Johnny uh, Johnny Cash and people like that. And then I went to guitar lessons. Uh, I was sent to guitar lessons when I was eight, and the the class I was in was a was a local uh, lady called Frances McCann, and she was a music teacher in a local girls' high school, and she had this uh, side hustle where she would um, teach local kids guitar lessons privately. So, uh, but it was in like a big class, so so uh, like a church hall. There'd be like twenty people and it was oh wow so she taught you all at once all at once yeah and and it was all girls (laughs) all girls like literally all girls i was the only fella there and uh all all she taught us to do was to strum chords and sing and it would be the pop hits of the day so whatever the pop whatever was in the charts abba and all it's horrible i hated it but (laughs) <laughs> I, I hated the I hated, I hated those songs, but it was and it was all girl songs. You know what I mean? It was all sure. girly girly pop tunes. Uh, but I mean, but what I realise now was it was the making of me as a as a musician, because as I got older, then I was always able to just play and sing at the same time. It was never a problem for me. I didn't have to re- I didn't have to learn that skill. As as a as a teenager or as a, someone in their twenties, I was already I was already doing it from when I was eight, you know. And wow. I think all all that pop, as well, also has contributed to my love of melody that I try to put into my music. So I try to write tuneful, even though it might be heavy. I try to keep it tuneful, and I think it all comes from those formative years. Yeah, what a great story. Yeah, it's the, you know, the, the impression that um, early training and skill has in your career. Yeah. It just goes to show you how important that is. Yeah, completely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I have thought about this before, and I genuinely think that that's the case. I think that all those, all those things that happened to me as a child have informed everything that I do today. So your parents were supportive of you pursuing a career in music at the time? Or was it just like, oh, yeah, here's a hobby. Go pick up a, an instrument. 
Oh yeah, it was. I was obsessed with. I've always been obsessed with music. I've always, um, from I was a child, I was always. Uh, um, I I would after I got my my guitar. My, like I remember my dad coming into my room like two in the morning. I would wake up and I would lift the guitar and I would be playing, and singing, but trying to do it quietly so as not to wake everyone, but without realizing <laughs> it, I'd woken everyone in the house. And, <laughs> I remember my dad coming in and he was, he was great. You know, he didn't shout or anything. He went, Andrew, you need to go to sleep, son. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Just give me the guitar, put the guitar down, go to sleep. <laughs> you know? So uh, music is a big, you know, in Irish culture as well, you know, uh, music is, uh, is, is massive. So everybody sings and plays an instrument of some sort of description. And it's in Ireland, it's, it tends to be a lot of folk music, you know, Irish traditional music. But um, I kind of didn't really take to the traditional stuff. I, I love it now, but as a child, I didn't really, I didn't really like it. I preferred the more glamorous American soul and rock, you know, sure. sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, and I found it interesting that I think your first band was a cover band. You guys were a Smiths cover band, and you weren't even playing guitar. You were a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. It was my God. It was brilliant. A friend of mine. Well, actually, the, 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 there are friends now. I mean, I, I I call them friends now, but they were. I had. Um, we had moved. Yeah, yeah. We'd moved. So I had gone to a different school. I'd been taken out of one school and put into another school. Okay. My parent. My parents got divorced, and um, so I had to go to a different school. And. These guys, I remember the, the Smiths were the were one of the huge bands of the day. I, I didn't like them. I, I I just I didn't like the Smiths at all at the time. And uh, the, the, this guy Terry come up to me and he says, "I hear you play guitar." I said, "Well, I, I didn't play it very well, no, but I did play it." And he, I think I was about 13, 14, something like that, fourteen probably. And uh, he said, "Do you want to come and play in our?" band I went yeah definitely and he said but so I want you to play a bass I didn't even know what a bass was <laughs> <laughs> so I went down to the local music shop and talked to the shop owner into letting me take the cheapest bass in the shop out and pay him every week so I'd go down every week with a couple of quid and, and pay off the bass and uh, and, that, and that was and that was what we did and we, we yeah, it was it That's was good. Great. It was fun, and then there was a local guy, um, used to play in a band called Mama's Boys, a guy called Brett Lavery, and Mama's Boys used to be a part of the eighties rock rock and metal scene. So they would have been, they would have been, um, they they had a record deal and they had a couple of singles, so they were considered a big deal locally, and they they went on the road with Gary Moore, and Finn Lizzy and things like that. Oh wow, yeah. Yeah, so they were a part of that whole sort of eighties rock scene, and uh, Brett was was a local guy. The, all the all the fellas were were all local guys, and he came down, and every we would practice every Friday in the local church hall, and then he would come down, and uh, every now and again, every few weeks, he would turn up and just give us a wee bit of advice, and it was it was when I think about it now, you know, it was such a great thing for him to do, because. We didn't even, I mean, I didn't even know how to plug in an amp. 
And so you had this sort of local rock legend who, you know, tour has toured the world, and he would come down and say, "Try this or try that," or, you know. That's so cool. Mm, it was great. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure listening, you know, I know at the time you were not a fan. I wasn't a fan of the Smiths either until like later in life, right? In the 90s. Maybe you just, you you need some time to really digest it all. Yeah. Um, But Johnny Marr on guitar, that must have rubbed off on you a little bit. Yeah. He's absolutely brilliant. I I, I went through from that that age of, say, say 14, right up until my mid-20s, I was just the biggest Smiths fan. The biggest Smiths fan. The songwriting and the the guitar of Johnny that met melodic that 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 just absolutely amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing, you know. And again, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have. Well, I probably would have got into them at some point because they were undeniable. But this was this was back in like I was eighty six, eighty five, eighty six, something like that, and they were still kind of. They were very controversial at the time, you know. They were one of those love or hate bands, you know. You either loved them or you hated them, right? And because you were kids and basically stupid, I decided <laughs> I, I I decided I hated them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it, yeah. Until I got into the band and started to play their music, and then I was forced to listen to it, and then realized how good it was, you know. Yeah. So I, I'm assuming that in between, you probably cut your teeth on a few different bands until you ultimately um met chris which you, by the way by the way i don't know how you guys met uh, but you yeah. guys do have great chemistry together but the band form was at around 2009 ish so how did did you know chris before how did you guys actually meet yeah so i was playing i i, I had another little uh two-piece thing i was working on with another another drummer it was actually the other the other drummer a guy called tommy uh malloy and he's uh a local guy here and a renowned uh, drummer genius. I mean, the guy is an absolute phenomenon. But uh, and we tried to make it work together, but we had a bit of a personality clash. We didn't really. We had a bit of. We went. We got invited over to London to play a few gigs and things like that, and it wasn't. Um, it, it just wasn't working personally, you know. Uh, so I did, I pulled the plug. On that, but I had written more or less half of what would become our first album, the Bonneville's first album, and I felt like I was really just starting to get into the swing of the idea of the two-piece thing, because as I said, the two-piece thing was Tommy's idea, and he asked me to do it, and I was unsure. I tried to make it a three-piece. I invited my friend uh, Declan in to play bass. To try it as a as a as a three piece, mm-hmm. and Tommy was adamant he wanted the two piece, so we so we agreed and we did the two piece thing, and just as I was starting to get into the idea of it and getting get into the swing of it, we kind of had a bit of a fallout. So I didn't want at that point I was going okay I think I'm I don't want to abandon the idea of the two piece thing because I'm just getting into the way of it. So. I tried another another couple of drummers, a uh, couple of local guys, and it wasn't really working. They weren't they weren't committed really to it. But Chris was playing in a, another band called the Childish Thoughts, well, uh, sort of a '60s garage punk band, and 
after I had split up with Tommy, they had asked me, would I come in and play bass in the, the Childish Thoughts? Uh, and I said yes because it was just it was just a lot of fun. We would go to rehearsals and it would be a smoke machine and we would go smoke a joint and drink beer and <laughs> just re- just just rehearse to three o'clock in the morning playing these extended jams and it was and then we would play gigs and get get drunk before we went on stage and just, it was just raucous. You know, it was just it was just a lot of fun being in Childish Thoughts and it allowed me it gave me a bit of time. Uh, to get my head around what it was I wanted to do. So then I asked Chris, because he was drumming with them, with the Childish Thoughts, I said, listen, I've tried to get a couple of guys to do this drumming, this two-piece for me. And the Bonnevilles had already formed. So the Bonnevilles was already a thing. And I'd gone through two drummers. And then I said to Chris, because I didn't think Chris really wanted to do it, because he was already playing in about four different bands. So I, I was kind of slow to ask him. And... So I, I just sort of, I think I had a gig lined up and it was a pair. And I said, listen, I need someone to, to do this. And these guys, these guys have been using suck. So <laughs> do, do, you, do you fancy doing it? You know, you'll get paid and everything. You know, it's a paying gig. And he went, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. So that was it. And he came in and he did it. And he, he, he never left. That's great. You know, yeah. And, and and that was that was it. Um, we've been... We, we, we've been best friends ever since, really. You know, it's just great. He's a great guy. I absolutely love him so much. I miss him a lot as well. He's just... Yeah, he's a great drummer too. Yeah, yeah, he really is. And he loves drumming and he, he loves music. And that's, you know, that's... Uh, I suppose we all do in this business, don't we? You know, we're all kind of obsessed with what it is that we do. Yeah. You know what's funny is I was wondering if people ever mistook you guys for... Um, the, the 50s or 60s doo-wop band, the Bonnevilles. And then you <laughs> tweeted about it on social media. And um, and does that really happen? Yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah, we get tagged in that stuff all the time. <laughs> and it's just, I kind of, um, it's okay when if people just tag us you know, the, at the Bonnevilles. They don't, they don't know who we are. They'll maybe sure. just put it up. I checked out this great song and they'll, they'll maybe just type in the Bonnevilles. By mistake, or or and, and we'll come up by mistake, and so they don't know who we are. But there has been occasion over the years where people know who we are. They're fans of the band, and they go, <laughs> "What what what album is this song on, lads?" <laughs> We're like, "Are you stupid, guy? How do you think that? How do you think that's us?" <laughs> Maybe you guys should cover Zuzu. I know we had we had the same thought. It would be yeah, good. I think we should. Yeah, we maybe figure something out. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, it um, would be a lot of fun. So, where where did the name come from, the Bonnevilles? Um, when they it come from the where they do the Land Speed record there in in Salt Lake in Utah. Uh huh. So I, as a kid, I was kind of uh, one of the things that I was sort of a, a little bit obsessed with was. Um, you know the land speed record thing, which was, which was, uh, it was kind of big in the eighties. There was a lot of trying to break records, but I was obsessed with the older guys. So I was there was a guy called Donald Campbell, who was this British guy, this old sort of World War Two fighter pilot, and uh, uh, and and he would he would try he would he made this famous car called Bluebird, and he broke this this land speed record. And then 
then all through to the 60s, the American guys. So a lot of that spirit of America, those rocket cars. So they would do that in Bonneville. So uh, it's, it's just that little memory from my childhood. So I kind of, uh, people think it's something to do with Triumph motorcycles, but it's not. It's to do with <laughs> it's to do with that. And again, that, that, that to me is a part of the whole, you know, the, the my musical upbringing, and it would be connected to that too, because it was that glamour of the American dream almost, you know, the rock and roll and the soul and the country music, and then the the sixties, you know, the the Technicolor America of Evil Knievel and you know all, all this sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, you know that. So that was like I, I have I have an uncle, and they went to they went to Vegas in the seventies. And they brought me back an Evil Knievel poster, and it was it was the, I, I remember they, they brought it back, and I was obsessed. I was I just I stuck it on my wall, and you know, and so, so it's so that's what that sort of that's what the band name is sort of harking back to. That's great. It makes a lot of sense now because it's actually very suiting to you guys. You guys are the Bonnevilles. It sounds like it sounds right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now in twenty ten, you yeah. Your, so your debut album came out in 2010, and yeah. like you said, some of those songs were already written. So "Good Suits" and "Fighting Boots." Yeah, um, I'm assuming as a band, you were pretty well received locally at the time. What was that like writing and promoting that album? What do you remember most? Uh, promoting it well, uh, no, actually, um, I would say that we weren't well received locally. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, 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 it took a little time to get there, but there was there's a re, there's, there is a there is a reason for that. Ireland is a country. For the, the, I, I could go into detail as to why, but Ireland is a country that tends to appreciate its own great artists and musicians and whatever when others appreciate them first. So if you want to get big in Ireland, you need to go away somewhere else, get bigger there, or be seen to be doing well somewhere else. Then people in Ireland go, oh, look. Got uh, it, yep. Right? And yeah. I think it comes I think it comes from, because we've, Ireland has been, it, it comes from, there's maybe a certain lack of confidence, or maybe, I don't know. It may not be true just so much today, but it certainly has been true within the course of my life. But because we've been conquered, you know, for 800 years, there's sort of a, an identity crisis almost sort of bubbling beneath the surface sometimes. Yeah, like, like a, show, a show me attitude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exa yeah, exactly. So what I decided to do, there was a couple of things. I knew that the record was good. I knew that we weren't really going to get a record label to put it out because we didn't have access to record labels. We didn't have access. Uh, we didn't have any reputation. We hadn't gigged or toured much at that time. So why would a record label put it out? <laughs> so I decided I would start my own record label. So I started Motor Science Records in 2007 with the idea that I would eventually start putting out my own stuff. So I released a couple of records by, by a Japanese band called The Roots was one of them. And I put out a couple of compilation albums out and I got distribution deals sorted and everything and got the label established. So then by the time the Bonneville's first album came along, I was able to then put it out on Motor Sounds Records with it and it had distribution. 
So then what I decided to do was then go away and gig abroad. So me and Chris, some of our first early gigs were in Belgium and the Netherlands and England. And, and we, we did gig locally, but not too much. So we, so we went away as much as possible, made it look like we were doing well abroad. Then whenever we came home, by the, by the time we get to our second album, we're, we're selling out our big, the, the big local room that we can play in up in Belfast, the limelight, you know, and it was, so there was a little, there was a, there was a bit of a strategy involved in it all. And I'm glad to say that I think it worked. Yeah, it did. You know, and um, uh, so then by the time the second album comes along, We've got record, other record labels are now interested because we've sort of developed a little reputation all of our own. And, 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 and then, so we, we let the other labels put our stuff out now because it's easier for us. <laughs> yeah, and I, have, I absolutely love your second album. I mean, all your albums are great. And that's the thing about you Thank guys. You. you guys actually make really great albums. You know, there isn't a particular song that you just have to hear. You, you almost want to just sit down and listen to the albums. They're great. Every one of them. Thank you, Frank. Um, very kind of you to say so. And, but yeah, they're, they're written with that in mind. I, I, I do write songs, of course, but I am very mindful of the fact that it's going on an album and I, and I want the album to be good. And this album in particular, you know, um, you know I know a little bit of the, the backstory, you, the personal side to the album, but you, mm. guys, were, you guys were going through some, some losses Mm. Um, did you feel like getting into that a little bit, both you and Chris, I believe? Yeah, um, well, my mother had died. She had motor neurons. She got motor neurons disease. I think you call it in America Lou Gehrig's disease, is it? Yep. Uh, yeah, and uh, so it's, it's a muscular wasting thing. She went from being, she was, she was 60. She went from being a fit and active 60-year-old, beautiful 60-year-old woman. She was, you know, she goes and skiing holidays and things like that. In the space of 18 months, she went from that to dead. And then Chris's father died of cancer. And then Pete, our roadie, his, uh, his uh, mother died as well, all in the space of three months. So we were kind of, there was a lot of writing being done around that time by me. Uh, and those sort of, there was elements of all of those things was, was just seeping its way into the lyrics, you know, and, uh, but, but I think it's, you, you write about, you write about these experiences, don't you, as an artist, that's what you do, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that album really, it really connected with me, and I didn't know that until I started researching a little bit of your, of your story in preparation of this, of this podcast, and yeah. I'm like, boom, it makes all the sense in the world now. Um, it's just, it's just coming from a different place. It's, it's still, you know, it's not overly dramatic, but it's, it's got a little no. bit more heart in it, you know? Yes, I understand that completely, and, and, and that was the thing as well, you know, I remember, I remember, uh, I remember the effort that I put into the songs and the lyrics especially, and then the delivering, the delivery of them in the studio. I remember going, uh, studying. So whenever we decided that we were going to go into the studio, we went into a guy, a guy here in Belfast. He doesn't, he works for the BBC now. He closed the studio, but, um, 
he um walter did recorded the album and he did a fantastic job but i remember getting prepared and i decided i started to study the singing techniques of david bowie and frank sinatra and i wanted to learn how to do because i've never prepared to record anything i'd ever recorded in the past i just went in and did it and i'd never prepared anything properly so i wanted so i started to read about and watch a few documentaries about how sinatra would prepare and bowie how bowie would breathe into the microphone you know around a microphone and do all this sort of so so i i started to to do that in the studio and whenever I was practicing to go into the studio, I would be mindful of what Sinatra and Bowie did. And wow. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying that I sound anything. No, of <laughs> anything, course. Anything like the two of them, but there's something to be learned. Like one of the things I, I when people ask me about my singing, I also I always try to sound like Sam Cooke. No, I don't sound anything like Sam Cooke, but, <laughs> but I'm always trying to. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I'm always trying to because he's the best there ever was, and I want to be. I want. I want to. I want. If I can emulate one tenth of one percent of what he does, I'll be. I'll be hundred percent. I'll be a hundred hundred percent better. You know. But you know what's amazing is that right now, it's just speaking with you. You sound so different than you do singing your songs. So your accent, which isn't anything unusual, it's, you know, it's clearly an Irish accent um, yeah. from that region, as I'm sure mine sounds, you know, Chicago-esque. Um, yeah. But if, if anything, there's, there's very little trace of that in your songs. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's no, no, there's very little, very little. Um, I mean, as I said, I grew up listening to American music. For me, singing in an American accent, or certainly mid-Atlantic accent, let's call it that, I don't know, um, uh, is the most natural thing in the world. Singing in my own accent is very difficult for me. Right. You know, yeah, there's I, actually I've, like a science, there's, a, there's like a science behind it. I remember reading this article that was, um, I think it was noting like Ozzy Osbourne and Mick Jagger and the researchers believe that like linguistically, like the very process of singing has like an accent neutralizing effect. Where, um, all right. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like it's like uh, the accents that we have are created through like our vowel quality and our vowel length, and all of that is altered when we sing. So in singing like syllables, um, huh. yeah, the the articulation process is less precise. So it was it was saying in the article. I remember it saying like pop music or rock music. It's almost like a universal language. <laughs> My God, I'm so happy. I feel like I feel I feel like less of a fraud now. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I'll send you, I'll try to find that. I'll send you the link. Yeah. It. It, it, it was interesting. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then, um, so, and then you had a, a live album and you guys pride yourself, which I have to see you guys live. So I'm looking forward to everything opening up mm. again because, yeah. um, you know, all the videos I have seen, you guys really do bring it on stage, which is very important. Mm. Um, where did you guys record the live album? It was recorded um, at, the, I think it was the album launch for Folk Art. I think it was, no, no, it wasn't the, no, sorry, it wasn't the album launch for Folk Art. It was another gig, but it was in the same venue. So it's a venue in Belfast called The Limelight. And it's one of these, uh, so 
it's sort of a, mi a medium-sized venue. Um, back in the day, um, like the Stone Roses and uh, you know bands like that would have Smiths would have played there and things like that. So um, we, as I said, when we when we when we but when we released the first album, Good Suits, and then we gigged that for a few years and toured as much as we toured as much as we could and tried to build our reputation. Then we come along to our second album, Folk Art. And by now, this room, the limelight, where we used to go and see all these great bands, which we still go, it's, the venue's still open. Yeah. Um, we are now a headliner in the venue, and we fill the room, and That's it was great. the biggest, and it's the biggest treat in the world. So we decided then to do um, a live album, um, in the same venue. And it was good. I mean, the, the live album's good. It's okay. I think we could do it better. I was happy enough at the time, but I think I would. Uh, we're talking about doing another live project, and I think I would like to do. Uh, I've I've got a more um, solid idea of what it is that I want from a live album. So, uh, I think if we do another one. We'll maybe try and tie it in with a with a video project as well, and um, a couple of things like that, you know. And but I've a, I've a more solid idea of what it is that I would like from a live album. So, is that idea incorporating the the video element? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, yes. To try and we'll do it in a smaller room. We should do it in a smaller space as well, and try and make it. There's a there's a great venue here. Unfortunately, it has closed down. Just closed down. Just just ahead of this. Um, this pandemic, um, but a place called the Menagerie, and it's it was a it was a little bit off the beaten track, so it kind of tend to be overlooked. But it was a wonderful, wonderful space, and I'd love to have done it in there. Um, David Holmes used to own it. You know, you know, uh, you know those movies, um, the Ocean's Eleven movies and things like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but he's he's a guy from Belfast here, and he he. Does the the music for all those films? So oh, wow. Ocean's, Ele Ocean's Eleven and Out of Sight and all those George Clooney projects. He all those funky soundtracks. He would be the guy. So he owned it, but it closed down recently. So it, the the space was very was very cool inside, very dive barish, but in a, in a in a very cool groovy way. So I'd like to have done it in there, a video project, and then you know with, with the live thing. But um, it's closed now, so we can't do it there. But we'll 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 find somewhere else. There's there's a lot of good venues in Belfast, you know. But um, but yeah, the live aspect to our our um the thing that is the bonobos, the, the the live thing is 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 very important. We're good live, but we put a lot of work into it. You know, we've we've gigged a lot and played and toured a lot and gotten better at what we've done, and uh, and again. That that's one of the things that, uh, watching the American bands. It's watching like I remember back in the in in like mid two thousands, um, seeing bands like the the Von Bondies and the White Stripes and yeah, uh, the Detroit Cobras and the Dirt Bombs and all those the Detroit sort of garage scene. Those guys came over to Ireland and they would play in little rooms up in Belfast and go and seeing them and I watched them. I remember watching them with great interest and how they conducted themselves and how they even how they manned the merch and 
to cure the merchandise and stuff because we didn't do that in Ireland. No one did that. We, you know, people wouldn't print T-shirts or things like that. And was so watching all those American bands. I go, we can do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and 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 also seeing how good they were and how how they sold their performance. You know, they hit the stage hot. Whereas we tended in Ireland to start cold and then build. But these, these American bands just come in, they just went right from the first note, boom, you know? Yeah. It was, it was a hot, sweaty, fast show, like for an hour and a half, and that's what you got. And, and I watched that, and I'm like, right, that's what we're going to do. So, so then, again, back to what you were asking earlier on, by the time we sort of started to get a little bit of, um, a, little bit of a reputation in Ireland, we'd been doing it for a while, a year or two, but we'd, whereas other bands were maybe um, starting cold, let's say, let's say that to be, I, I don't, don't want to, not, I'm not putting anybody down, but they would be maybe start cold and then build. We just hit the stage hard right from the first note, and that got us a reputation real sort of quick, you know, as being a little bit different to everybody else. Yeah, and that reputation carried to um to a live records who signed you for your next release, right? Arrow pierced my heart. Yeah, yeah, that was great. That that is awesome. Yeah, because that album um is great. Did you guys now was that material written before you guys signed with Alive, or did that happen afterwards? Before. Yeah. Did you guys record so, it before too? And no, no, so. What happened was our friend, uh, we got invited to play a festival in, um, in Munich, in Germany, uh, by a guy called Christian Steidel, who is our, our dear friend to this day. And uh, um, so he invited us to play, and the headliner was um, Left Lane Cruiser. Who are also on Alive, and we were thrilled because this was exact. And, and the, the sorry, it was Left Lane Cruiser and Guadalupe Plata, a band from Spain who are uh, amazing as well. One of my favorite bands, actually. But um, the uh, we were thrilled because this was exactly the sort of company that we wanted to keep. This was this was the, 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 these bands were the bands that we wanted to be seen as being a part of that that scene or that group, you know. So uh, when we got invited there, we, we were over the moon, we were, to, to, to say the least. But then we, we played and Freddie from Bethlehem, he came up to us afterwards and he said, you just need to have a word with Alive. Uh, he really liked our set, he liked what we were doing. And I said, yep. He said, do you have any stuff? And he says, no, 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 we don't have any stuff ready to go right now, said, but we're, we're in the middle of writing something. And he said, he said, cool, he says, sure, let me know whenever you're ready and I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up with, with Patrick from Alive and then you can take it from there. So then in the meantime, we got invited to play out another uh, festival and we got to hang out with Johnny Walker from the Soledad Brothers and James Legg. Oh, wow. Uh, and those guys are on, on uh, Alive as well. And um, they, they, both, they, they both, again, after our set, they, both of them come up and said, you, you, you just need to have a word with have you met Patrick from Alive? And we, we said we hadn't, but we'd been talking with Freddie from Left Lane and he'd said we, we should hook up. And he said, said yeah. 
let us, you know, so basically, so then we, we, we recorded the album and we, I just emailed the guys and just said, guys, listen, we've got a record here. Is there any chance you could send it through to Patrick? Uh, you have to have that way in with, with, with those labels and those guys because they get so much stuff unsolicited. So it has to come from a sort a trusted source, you know? Sure. So they, they sent the, uh, the album or, or we, we got the email to send the album to. And then a few days later, uh, a few days later, I got an email from Patrick. He says, I want to talk to you about this album. He says, can I phone you? I said, yeah, sure. And he says, I'll phone you. I can't remember, but it was like, I'll phone you six o'clock on Tuesday. Six o'clock of your time, Tuesday. So that's fine. So I was, I was driving up to Belfast and he rang a little early. I was going up to rehearsal and I had to pull into the side of the road. And uh, it was Patrick. It was, an, it was an, an American phone number, so I knew it was him. And uh, he just, we just chatted about it. And he said, yeah, I really want to put the album out. Can we do it? I said, yeah. And he sent the contract through. Uh, we we it was st standard. No no no. There was no hassle there at all. We got it looked at. It was all good. Um, but we we spoke to the guys, you know, and they all said Patrick's a good dude. You know, he's he's a good good fella because the label that we'd been on beforehand, we had a bit of a we had a bit of a disagreement with them. The guys that put out folk art. Um, so we were kind of. We we and we'd signed a publishing deal as well with another group, and we had to pay money to get out of it because they were useless. So we'd signed a couple of contracts that had come back to bite us in the ass. So yeah. we were a little we were a little bit cautious by this time, but um, everything everything was good. Uh, we yeah. play we we got brought to play a festival in Mississippi. And I'm a huge, you know, Robert Johnson's one of my musical heroes. And uh, so we went and signed the contract on the, the crossroads in Clarksdale where Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, we've got, got a photograph of it. It was so cool. It was brilliant. It was so cool. I can't imagine how all that must have felt. Yeah. Thrilling. It's, yeah. it's me. I'm smiling right now thinking of it. <laughs> It's wonderful. It's it's a it's one of those things that you kind of if you'd have, if you'd have asked me what what is your ambition for the Bonnevilles, what is it you want to do with them, I, and I, if I if I told you all, I said I would have probably have said something close to that. I would like for this to happen. I don't think it will, but I would like for this to happen, and it did. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so great. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, we're very lucky. We're very lucky, and we enjoy what we do. You know, so that's. That's a big part of it, isn't it? Yeah, and you do it well, and you, I guess you have to enjoy it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, you know yourself. You know, being being a, being an an artist of any description is challenging, but it's a good challenging. And there's, you know, and you you learn a lot along the way, and you know, it's good. Your, your next album, so Dirty Photographs, which came out in 2018, really shows your growth and what you guys have learned. I mean, this is like, it's just like the pinnacle of where you've been so far. I feel the album yeah. is great. Um, it, it, it brings in that Mississippi blues vibe, like you mentioned, but it mixes in all the rock and Irish swagger that you guys possess. Yeah. Um, lyrically, sonically, it's more, um, it's a little bit more upbeat, but but what was yep. the mood and the vibe like when you guys were making this? 
Yeah, well, it was, it, I mean, the, the, you're correct to point that out. Um, it was definitely uh, a sunnier sort of album for us, and it was deliberately so. It was, I wanted to do that. Um, I, I wanted to, the, the title track, Dirty Photographs, it's, I mean, it's just a pop hit. It's just a pop song, you know, it's, that's what it is. It's, and I don't make any, I don't make any apologies for it, but it's done in that sort of garage style. And um, uh, yeah, and I just wanted to do a, 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 a sort of a, a happier, or maybe happier is not the word, but um, just a more upbeat sort of sort of record. I just, I wanted to do, that's what I wanted to do. And I made the record that I wanted to make, you know, so uh, it's good. And I re I'm really proud of it and really enjoy it. And uh, yeah. Can't wait to make the next one. <laughs> there you go. So in a matter of eight years, then you guys put out something like you know five albums, four studio, one live. I think you had an EP or two in there. Yeah. You toured yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, and that's all within a very short period of time. What kind of toll did you find that that took on you, if any, physically and or mentally? Oh uh, yeah, it's it's both both things are. Um, Mentally, the, in, the, the insecurity that you get from touring, you know, at our level, you know, there's no, we, we don't make huge amounts of money, but we make a living. But um, uh, the, the, it, you kind of get stretched financially, which over the course of time will weigh down on you mentally, you know, and I, I, I've, I've got a wife and two kids who support me fully in everything that I do. But there's times there where I would feel sort of, and, and, and this, this may sound a little bit uh, whatever, but I'm a man. I want to be a manly man that looks after my family. And sometimes you just haven't got, you know, you're looking there from, you could be months with no money, you know, and it's so that sort of weighs heavily on you and you kind of only for my wife who you know I've, I've confided in her many times i've said listen i think i need to, to stop this and maybe go and get a, a civilian's job and she has said no you should you shouldn't do that <laughs> you know that's a bad idea you know so uh I, you know physically it is it, it you, you really do need to look after yourself i think i didn't at the start that started us. I was a, a bit more, um, <clears throat> a bit harder on my on my health, uh, and it it paid a toll. It did pay a, the, the the. I think what we came back off a tour, and I got up. Uh, I was just home that night, and we went to bed, and in the middle of the night I got up to. I started to. I thought I was getting up just to go to the bathroom. But I actually got up and I, and I collapsed. I, I had a, my heart was racing and I wow. collapsed. I collapsed on the floor of the bedroom and my wife thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't know what I was having, but it was turned out it was exhaustion. I was suffering from exhaustion. Um, and that was just basically burning the candle at both ends. But when I said burning the candle at both ends, I was turned with the band and being doing, you know, we're having beers every night and all the rest of it. But then, I was also, I'm also into my physical exercise. So I, 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 I uh, race bikes, cycling. So I still, oh, wow. I still do, I still do that to this day. 
and um, but at that time I was I was ha more heavily involved. I was racing every week and twice a week, and so I was trying to be in a in a rock band and gigging and touring, and also trying to maintain a level of fitness that that you need to be able to to compete at that level. And it was it's just the two are incompatible. They just are incompatible. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was about to say I don't, I don't see like touring on bikes as a good like way to relax a, a downtime from a tour definitely not no <laughs> definitely not so i was i i gone on a tour we were going on a tour and i i think it was something like this so the tour would have been sort of maybe april or may and the racing season would have i'd have had a few races and then so the tour was said two or three weeks two weeks or whatever and I said to myself, okay, so what I'll do is I get myself as physically fit as possible before I go on the tour so that whenever I can't do a lot of exercise on the, on the road, that what I have to get back when I come back off the road, I don't have to do as much. I can sort of just work hard for a couple of weeks and I'll get back to where I should be. But sure. what I did was I left, I, 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 I left myself completely empty going into the tour I physically I was empty because I was training twice a day for about a month and I was losing I'd lost a lot of weight and everything and you know you have to be fairly you have to try, I'm not a skinny person but you have to try and be as light as possible to race bikes so I was doing that but then you go on so instead of being nice and fresh going on the road to go on the road I was exhausted going into it so then you're going on the road and you're doing 12, 14, 16 hour days for two or three weeks. And that's what, and so then I come home and I collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was, that was my, uh, okay, you need to knock the bikes. I still race. I still do, but I, 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 I just do it to suit myself and just to keep me happy. I mean, I, the, the cycling for me is the exercises is, is my, is my mental therapy. That's what I, that's what I get out of it, you know? It's it's like finding a finding a balance between the two, I guess, moving forward. Yes, exactly. That's it. And I, and I, and I, do, I do. I manage yeah. it. But the, it, it was a case of prioritizing. They needed to prioritize the band over the cycling. But it doesn't mean that you have to stop the other sure. thing. It just you just need to just taper back a little, and you know. Do you bring the bike with you when you're touring to like explore other areas at all? No, unfortunately, I, we just don't have time. Sure. There was there was. Um, the, the last big Euro tour we did, we were driving, we averaged nine hours a day driving. So um, some days we were driving up to 12, 13 hours. Now, in America, I know that's sort of, that's nothing because America is such a huge country. Right. But um, in Europe, and especially in Ireland, you know, <laughs> you, know you, you can drive the length of Ireland in four hours top to bottom. <laughs> yeah. You know, so the Driving for nine or ten or twelve hours a day for us is 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 mental. It doesn't make any sense. It's just a sense of scale that, that yeah. we're not that we're not used to, you know. And it's a different type of drive in Europe. I'm not sure about Ireland, but I can imagine. You know, here you're driving a nine or twelve hour ride. Most of it is straight expressway yeah. or freeway. In Europe, you can do a lot of mountainous areas. Yeah, a lot more traffic, smaller roads. It's a lot more. Yeah. It's a lot more of a journey, right? Yeah, you're very absolutely correct. I've, you know, I've, 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 we've played in America. We haven't driven, we haven't done much. Well, we did a couple of gigs in Mississippi, but um, we we sort of drove from um, 
uh, Memphis down to Clarksdale and then Clarksdale up to Tupelo and then back to Memphis and back to back to Clarksdale again. And there was a few hours in between those, and it was just as you just as you said, it was just sitting on the straight road, pretty much, and you just it's you know the cars are great, they're big, and they, they just sit automatic, even automatic, yeah. and it changes gears for you, and you just sort of sit back and listen to music and chat. And no, I'm not I mean, I'm, I'm not saying driving for nine or ten hours is in any situation is easy because it's not. But sure. in Europe, you know, it's manual geared and you're constantly on, you're mentally on the entire time. I would get the gigs and I would be exhausted. And Chris, imagine, yeah. Chris, Chris doesn't drive, so I had to do all the driving and he'd be sleeping, the bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be driving for nine hours and get at the gig and I'm like, oh my God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm busted. And yeah, and some, of those, some of those roads are white knuckle roads. You know, it's like very very narrow path and you're on a yeah. cliff yeah. and going up the mountain yeah absolutely yeah we've had a few of those we've had a few of those they're 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 we we came we drove from there was a drive we did it was from turin no it was milan milan and italy and we had to drive to saint Etienne, france and it meant going over the alps wow and i i we were coming down the alps and I said to Chris, do you realize we've been going downhill for two and a half hours? <laughs> <laughs> Literally two and a half hours just wow. down the side of a mountain. It was, you know, and he went, you kid, really? Yep. And it took us about three hours to get up. But you expect that going up. But going down, it was, you know, it was, you know, and then, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. that, and that's what I mean to say is, that physical, that physical side of it, um, it's all very doable. I mean, we're all capable of it, but you do need to, you know, for, especially for the rock and roll business, you know, it tends to be, you know, drugs and booze and, and all that. Oh, sex and drugs and rock and roll, isn't that what they say? But yeah, anybody, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and anybody I know that is making a living at this business doesn't do any of that. You can't, you can't maintain it at this level. You know, it's different. I, it might be different if you're on a big tour bus and people are doing everything for you and yeah. you have to perform for 90 minutes a day and that's it. The rest of the time you can do whatever you want. Well, you're going to be bored to death anyway, so you probably want to turn to something you shouldn't. But for us, we're just a working, we're just a working band. So we got to do the driving, do the loading. We, have, we bring a roadie with us, but, you know, it's all, it's all hands on deck. And uh, if, if you... If, if you're going to have a drink after a gig, which we do, and that's fine, but if you're going to have a bottle of whiskey, you're, you're going to pay for that tomorrow. And we need you to, we, we need you to, you know, to, to turn up tomorrow to do your job. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Now, now you, you, you talked about, you know, being able to, to provide the income mm. and, you know, deliver as a, as a businessman, the business part of the music, what can we do as fans, as the audience moving forward here um, yeah. to help support the music and the artists that we love? Yeah. It's very difficult for, for fans as well at the minute because we're all still trying to figure this out. And the dynamic that's changed, the, the dynamic that we've enjoyed traditionally as musicians uh, and, and fans 
and but I'm, and by the way, we're we're all both. You know, I'm a fan as well. So of of other bands. So um, that traditional go to gigs, buy records, you know, buy a t-shirt or whatever it is. Um, that's all changed because of the gig thing isn't possible at the minute and everybody is leaning heavily into the fans at the minute so I'm I, you know I'm doing a live stream by the time this goes out it'll have been I did a live stream on Saturday night um you know and I, I'll, I'll be asking the fan you know there's if you want to leave me a tip there, there's how you do it and everybody's doing the same thing you know and th- there's other other than support in any way you can you know, it, and it is a financial support for most of us. It's that's what's required is a financial support, and um, it doesn't need to be a lot. But you know, if, if enough people give it a little, it it adds up at my end, and it does. And I can assure you, it does add up at my end. You know, the gigs that I've the gigs that I've done online have made the difference for me between uh, um, getting through this and being able to take care of my family and paying the bills literally and not being able to do any of that it's those gigs online that have done that for me so uh, uh, the, 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 the i think the fact the fact as i said earlier on that what i've come to appreciate is what we mean to the fans in, in a way that i hadn't realized before but it's also it's also made me realize um, how much the fans mean to me and what they are to me. I mean, I, and I don't mean to sound like I, like I took them for granted beforehand because I certainly didn't. No, of course but, not. You don't have the time to sit there and and yeah. you let it all kind of sink in, right? Exactly, of course. And, you know, um, but but this, you know, I, the, first, the first live gig I did, the, the, the live stream thing, you know, the next day, then when I go and look in the PayPal account and see how much, I was tipped. It blew me away because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if it was going to be $50 or or, or what. I didn't know, but it was a significant amount of money and I, I paid my bills and that got me up. Got, you know, I was able to pay, you know, buy food for my family and pay my bills and keep keep my life. And, and nobody, nobody gave $100. It was all small, a couple of bucks here, a couple of bucks there. You know, and that, 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 that's it, that, that, that thing. But everybody's doing it now. So the fans are being leaned on in a certain way that maybe they haven't been before because us as musicians are going out there and saying, listen, if you can help us out, if you can, do, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get a live stream and it's going to be not a gig that you would normally um, want to see, maybe. You maybe don't want to see this. You, you you want to go to your local venue. That's where you want to see us, not not over your computer. You know. But I'm going to ask you: Can you put your hand in your pocket anyway? You yeah, know, well, and, they you are, know, and, and they are. Yeah, they are. That's great. It's so good to hear because, um, I, and I think anybody listening, it's um, you know, support support your artists. You know, if you if you catch some of these live streams, give them a tip. You're seeing the benefit yeah. it has instantly. I mean, you go to a pub or a bar, you know pre pre the pandemic you're going to tip the bartender there's no yeah. reason we can't significantly tip our artists buy their merch buy their shirts buy their hats at this time buy their music buy their physical yeah. albums yeah. You know, an lp yeah. a cd whatever we can do yeah. and, and it, 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 the thing of it as well is you, 
remember, I, I would, I would, I, I don't think I really need to remind anyone of this, but imagine what your life would be like without these people, without all that music and all that art and all those books and all those films and movies and poetry and, you know, imagine what your, how dull would your life look? There's no color, there's no flavor, there's nothing there. You know, the, the, all these people are the people that have uh, entertained you and give you things to think about and put things into words that you're incapable of doing. And and now we need you to help us out a wee bit. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's just literally as simple as that. It's just as simple as that. All right, good stuff. Real quick, what's the Black yep. Cat Club? And how do I get the invite? And how do I get the invite? <laughs> You've officially got the invite. You're invited. You're 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 on the door for life. You got a free pass plus one for life. Nice. Um, the the Black Cat Club is um, my hometown here of Lurgan. So uh, when I grew up, this Lurgan has an extremely high output rate of artist per population. So it tends to, we've always put out great musicians, great artists, actors, poets, painters, authors, uh, musicians especially. We're kind of known for it. And when I grew up, there was different, and don't get me wrong, um, we're still a, still a, a sort of working class town, you know, but we do tend to put out, I say, we, I, the way I tend to put it is we punch above our weight. But we always had venues to play in, and as a, speaking as a musician, there was always somewhere to go. There was always a band to see. There was always a vet. If you're in a band, there was a, you could always get a gig. That's all changed over the past say 15, 20 years. Now there's no venues anymore. The last good venue actually got uh, was burnt down, and uh, there's been nothing open since then. And and there's going to be a generation of kids coming through who got, who can't play a gig, who got nowhere to play. And people like us who have got nowhere to go to watch people play. You know, as I said earlier on, I'm a fan too. I like to go and see bands. So how, 20 years ago, I could have went and seen three different bands three nights in a row in my hometown. 20 years later, I can't do that. There's, there's, there's no band. You can't. And if, you, if there are bands, they're generally cover bands or, or maybe not very good. So, um, we were along with my friend Richie. Uh, he's one of my best mates. He, um, he, he, he was. He went out one night um, for a drink, and like I said, if we go out, if we go out, we tend to go to Belfast. Now, there's absolutely no, which is only twenty miles from from here. But there's absolutely no reason we should have to go to Belfast to go and watch a band. So Richie went out. He got drunk. And on the way home, he was, he was texting me furiously. And he was like, he was outraged. He says, this is a disgrace. He says, this town is dead on its ass. We need to do something about this. So the next day, we, him and me and both our wives, the four of us together, we formed the, the Black Cat Club. And we started to formulate a plan. We got a venue. We went and seen a, a local uh, bar owner who we know well, a guy who we who consider a friend. And they have this back room of this bar that's basically set empty. And we said, listen, can we take it over? And they said, yes. And we started to start to book bands. So we, 
I was handling handling the booking, and I was leaning into all my contacts that I have from the Bonnevilles, and we started to book bands and comedy nights. So I I, I think rock music and comedy go together. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So we started to lean into all those guys and started to get things booked up. And we were we were booked right up to November, and the first gig was going wow. to be the Bonnevilles. And <laughs> we never got to do it. It was it was the 27th of March. I think we went into lockdown about a, about three weeks before it. <laughs> but it was kind of sweet because then we put when we made the announcement that listen, guys, we'd sold we'd sold over we'd sold something. It's only a small venue. It's like 150 sort of capacity, and we'd sold like 120 tickets, and. We said, listen, guys, you can get your money back. You can get a refund on your tickets or you can hold on to them. You know, we will be doing the gig eventually, but we don't know when. Not one person asked for a refund. Wow. We, not one person. And everybody that came back said, no way, we're supporting this club. This this town needs this club. What you are doing is brilliant and we need it here. And, not, and that was the response we got. 20 or 30 messages just just exactly like that and not one person asked for their money back that's so great good yeah. for you yeah it's great and, and it made me feel good <laughs> yeah absolutely well andy i can't thank you enough for taking the time i do like to wrap up the show yes by making by making a collaborative playlist and it's, it's kind of funny because we had an exchange i sent you so i i don't want to put my guests on the spot because i know i've been I've been in a position where someone's like, you know, name a song and it can be one of my favorite songs and I just don't know the title to it or yeah, an album. I, there's so many albums that I love that I don't even know, you know, what, what the name of the album is. So yeah. I like to give my, my guests a little bit of a heads up. Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to prepare a little set list, yeah. a playlist. And I'll give them the theme. So with you, I thought it'd be fun if we did like a, you know, playlist of some of our favorite, you know, two piece bands and some songs. Yeah. But it's funny because when I sent you the message, I'm like, and please, you know, be prepared to discuss. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, God, I sound like a teacher. <laughs> and then I sent it. And then you tweeted like, I'm, you know, I'm going to the Burn Music Show and I have homework and I, I couldn't stop laughing. I... <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, so anyways, that's, that, that's it. And we'll share it to social media. People can comment and we'll add their songs on there. And it's always awesome. fun because we can pick five or six songs. We're leaving yeah. out dozens of others. Yeah. So, um, you know, and like our taste, you know, it's whatever kind of popped in our heads in the moment. Yeah, of course. Okay, so I'm going to start off. I'm going to pick um, actually the first song off your latest album. So I'm going to do Dirty Photographs. Awesome. Yeah, and I, I feel like it keeps with um, the uh, punk blues vibe that you guys have, but yeah. it's, um, it's, a, it's a more evolved sound. I love it. Yeah, good. Thank you. Honored, honored to be honest. Honored to make the list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should I go next? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so it's a band called uh, Cattle. So it's their Canadian duo. It's about C A T L. Yep. That's them. Yep. And um, it's a song called "Got a Thing for You," and it's on their "Soon This Will All Be Gone" album. They're friend. They're honored to call them friends and they're an absolutely amazing band if you if anyone gets an opportunity to go and see them they should do that immediately i, I will do that as well yeah I've, I've, i heard of them but I, I don't think i've ever actually listened to them so i'll do that yeah they're lovely people as well good good they're good 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 people okay. 
I'm going to go with um, this song is always in my head. So it's from Royal Blood. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it's called uh, Lights Out. Yeah. Which album is that on? Is that the second one? That That's on their 2017. So I think it's the, la the latest one. It's um, yeah, How Did We Get yeah, So yeah. Dark? Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Great band. Great band. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll go another uh, friend and privilege to call him a label mate, James Legg. And it's from his Blood on the Keys album. It's a song called Human Lawn Dart. Okay. Uh, cool. I haven't heard it. I'll have to check it out. It's a it's a it's a brilliant song. <laughs> yeah, you love it. Uh, this is a song everybody knows. I, I have to include the White Stripes. Of um, but th this this song was my introduction to the band, and it, it takes me back. So I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and I mm -hmm. remember listening to the song. Um, it's fell in love with a girl on the oh. Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu, and looking out, and the song has that kind of '60s surf punk kind of vibe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, seeing that scenery and driving, it just it takes me back there. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, that's a, that's yeah. a great choice. Uh, this sounds like I'm, it's all from, again, it's, it's on the label. It's on Alive Records, but it's, yeah. the, it's from the Black Keys' first album because uh, they put out uh, the Black Keys' first album, The Big Come Up. And it could be any song off that record. Uh, but I'm going to go with uh, Do The Rump from the Black Keys, their big come up. But it could be any song on that album, I think. And, and that was early. That was like 2003-ish, wasn't it? Yeah, it's really early. Yeah, yeah. They, they took a while to really break, but their, um, their early stuff was just as good. Oh, they're, 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 again, they kinda, their sound evolved over time, but that's natural. People say that. When you hear people saying that, you go, oh, you know, don't sound as heavy as they did back then or whatever. Come on, you guys, they can't be doing the same thing for 20 years. I agree, you know, and I want that from my artists. You know, it's um, we're never the same, we're always moving, everything's changing. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw one here to um, to Chicago, and I have to give some love to I think these guys were some pioneers in the two man band, and that's Local H. Awesome, I don't know yeah. these guys. They are, they are, um, they're just, you're, you're going to love them. Look into Local H. They're just Local. true musicians. Every three, four years, they put out an album. They've been putting out albums since the early to mid 90s. Yeah. And their sound really hasn't changed. It has that 90s, almost like um, grunge, alternative sound. It's got some punk elements to it. Um, yeah. I think you'll recognize a bunch of the songs when you hear it. Oh, okay. And um, they're two piece, you know, when they tour and they do some live shows, I've seen them a few times, they might have a bass player or a keyboardist or something, but, um, yeah. so they, um, they are, you know, they had a new album come out this year. It's called Lifers. And I'm going to yeah. do a song off of that. It's called Demon Dreams. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, there, some, yeah it, it's cool. There, there's some synthesizers on there that add a different element to it, but they're still a, a two piece kind of pioneer. I think they're really yeah. cool. Cool. Um, okay, another again. I'm going to go down my through my label mates, and it's going to be Left Lane Cruiser, and it's their I think it's their last album, uh, Claw Machine Wizard, and it's the it's the title track from that album, Claw Machine Wizard. Left uh, Lane are uh, just uh, it's a phenomenon of a band, and they're, they're I think they're well, they're they're 
in the in the whole two piece, the modern two piece uh, band scene, they're definitely you know uh, sort of towards the top of that. But they're in Europe. They're 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 really big in Europe. You know, you you we I think I think we tend to fill bigger venues in Europe than they do in America, sort of a thing. I could be wrong sure. about that, but um. I think that's the case. A lot of the American bands come over to Europe and they, they do. If you're good, you will be loved lo- and loved deeply. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, but they keep coming back as well. So that's the thing as well. So bands, you know, it's important to keep going back. So you you, you go the first time, second time, and by the time you, if you're any good, you go back two or three times. You got a lot of love in the room for you, you know. Yeah. And that uh, again, and that love tends to translate through to uh, a, a living. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, definitely cruiser claw machine wizard. Okay, awesome. I'll check that out too. And then uh, I'm going to go with a, a band. They've been around a while, but I'm going to go with a song off of the first album that I ever listened to from them. It's uh, "Death from Above," 1979. Oh yes. Good yeah, I, I remember. Uh, yeah, I was in the, you know the job I had at that time. I remember one of the guys came in. And he's like, "Oh, you have to check out this band," and it was like a burned copy of a CD back when we used to do that. And um, yeah. I think it's the second song off of it. It's called Romantic Nights. Yeah. Okay. And the album is, yeah, the album is You're a Woman, I'm a Machine. So, um, Brilliant. Fun, yeah, fun song. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to go at, again, at the White Stripes. You mean, I know you've already. Yeah, it's okay. You've already. Did you have uh, Fell in Love with a Girl? Yes. From the same album? Is it okay? Is that okay to do that? Yeah, of course. Whatever we want. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with Hotel Yorba from the nice. from uh, from the White Stripes, White Blood Cells. Um, I rem- It's one of those. Uh, my kids. I've got two daughters. They're 16 and 19 now, and uh, one of the I would say that the White Stripes is probably one of the bands that both of them got into when they were young, when they were kids. You know, we kids like we, we yeah. we five and six years of age and going for if we would go and go for drives or whatever and hotel yorba and we would all be singing it in the car and, and to wherever we were going and the, the, the kids would sing along and, and i love that about the white i like that about the white stripes that they have that childish sort of um innocence yes yes they have that element to, to what they do and I like it, and I don't. And I don't think anyone else does it. Certainly, don't. If other people do it, I don't think they. I think they might come across as a little bit churlish or, 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 or childish, even. But they don't. It's it's done. It's done with such love, I think, and affection that it's it's just great. Right, so what the white stripes? Perfect. Yeah. And and then um. So that was your that was your fifth, right? That's my fifth. That's my last one. No, I did yeah. five. Oh, your last one. Okay. Yep. So, so I'm gonna. I'm going to wrap it up with another band that's local. They're up in Wisconsin. And I actually just come across them recently as well. Um, they're called 20 Watt Tombstone. Oh, I know them. Yeah. Yeah. They have a fun song. It's called Wisco Disco. It's actually the name of, of um, their first album. And it's fun. You know, if you, if you look up their bio, it's like, you know, they uh, play, they're everything. They're inspired from everything from Prince to like Lamb of God. And it, it kind of has that vibe. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And then Thanks I'm gonna throw in. I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna throw in a couple extra. Um, the Bonnevilles. I'm gonna put my dark heart in there somewhere. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
and then I love uh, 10,000. Great song. Yeah. Okay. That's one of our, that's, I don't think we've ever played a gig that we that, that, that 10,000 hasn't been on the set list. Well, your howl. I mean, you, you have to include it. Your howl in that song, I can imagine, <laughs> yeah. is great live. Yeah, it's really, when we start, Chris's, I must tell you, Chris's wife, Shelly, is a speech therapist. That's what she does for a living. Yeah. So whenever I started, uh, like, I, I never used to do any vocal exercises or anything like that. And it wasn't until around folk art. And even, at, it was even when I started to study, remember I was telling you earlier on about Yeah, about Bowie. Bowie, yep. and, Bowie and Sinatra and whatever. And we did that song. And then Shelley, um, but then by the time Chris met Shelley, she would come to our gigs. And when, when I would hit that note, she would visibly cringe. Because <laughs> she, she knew I wasn't doing it right. She knew what I was doing to my vocal cords. So then when we, we, we would go on the road, I, I, my, my voice would get beat up and I, would be able to, I, I, could, I wouldn't be able to talk in between gigs. I would have to just stop talking just to make it through the next gig. And it was because I wasn't warming up and because of that song in particular, hitting that note uh, two or three times during the, the, the gig. And um, so then Shelley went and got me a lot of literature and a lot of vocal exercises. And she just, she just said, she just, she just, she sent it to me. She's so sweet. She just sent it to me and she says, I don't want to interfere or anything, but could you read, could, could you read this? <laughs> you, you really need, I, 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 because, because of her profession, she could physically see in her mind's eye what my vocal cords were, were going through. And she goes, you're not going to be able to do this for the rest of your life if you don't sort it out. So I started doing the vocal exercises and I got a few little things online as well. And since then, my range has actually gone up. Wow. I've actually, I, 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 so if, like, if, if we go on the road for three weeks, I'll do that. We do that song every gig and we gig every night. So I'll hit that note three or four times during each gig. So that's 21 times times say, three. So 63 times in a row, I'll hit that note. And it's no problem to me now. I don't I have no vocal stress, no vocal strains. And it's all down to Shelly uh, telling that's me great. years ago, listen, you need to start looking after yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Great story. Cool. Well, Andy, I can't, I can't thank you enough. How can, um, how can everybody find you, find your music? Please feel free to plug um, where you're located online. Cool. Thank you very much. Um, so you can find us with uh, Facebook. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. So if you just go to those platforms and just search for the Bonnevilles, you'll find us. Um, alternatively, if you want to go to somewhere where all those places will be linked for you, you go to our website. So it's www.thebonnevilles.co.uk. It's not a .com, it's a .co.uk. So if you, if you go there, you will get everything. And we've got our YouTube links up there and videos and our store and all that stuff. So all that good stuff. That's great. And the, and the live streams that we're, that we're talking about, you'll be able to see on their YouTube channel as well um, after the fact. So they'll be mm -hmm. up there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thanks. Andy, thanks again for taking the time and coming on the Burn Music Show. I really appreciated it. I appreciate your music. And um, just, you know, I look forward to what the future has in store for you. Hey, Dimitri, thank you very much. Thank you for, uh, for reaching out to do this. I really enjoyed it.
and uh, sure, stay in touch and good luck with the show. Thank you so much. All right, take care. You too, buddy. Take it easy. Okay. All right, you too. Bye. 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 And that's a wrap on episode 10 of the Burn Music Show. Thank you so much to Andy for coming on and being my guest. And thank you all for tuning in and listening. If you're digging what you're hearing, please follow us, Burn Music Show, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast pretty much everywhere podcasts are played. Thanks again for tuning in and keep on rocking.